Over the mountains. This is episode 14, permanent record from 1988. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski, back with us again. Is this our first repeat guest on Keanu Club? I believe it might be Lindsay Gibb. Hello, Lindsay. Hi. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. Had you seen this movie before you signed up to do it? No. No. Mike, had you seen this movie? Never even heard of it until we started <laughs> to do these. Yeah, neither yeah. did I. To be honest, I hadn't heard of it either. My husband recommended that I choose it. I think it's kind of an interesting pick for you to do, considering your last one was River's Edge. Because in a lot of ways, they're the same movie, kind of. <laughs> well, that's totally what I thought while watching it. It's just two movies with high schoolers reacting to a dead friend, basically, right? Exactly, exactly except in River's Edge was more about the murderer and in this one it was more about the person who committed suicide what's weird about this movie and i don't know if it's necessarily weird because it's sort of you, you kind of have to say it to describe the movie but the kid doesn't kill himself until about 35 or 40 minutes in so i mean like we're like almost halfway through the movie yeah but everything you read about this movie, I mean, the, the two-line thing on IMDb, the back of the DVD case, whatever, everything starts off like, this kid had it all until he killed himself. And it's just like, <laughs> well, you just sort of like, you know, I, I mean, Ruins I don't know. If, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't know. I guess you could sort of sell it like he's a kid who's like got a troubled life or whatever. You know, he thinks he has it all or does he? But like, you know, you sort of know if you like read anything about this movie going in, the kid kills himself. And so you're just sort of like. Oh, like, when's that going to happen? And it's, it's sort of a weird, you know, marketing approach, I guess. Mm-hmm. It makes you watch it with the lens of, like, could we tell that something was bothering him or that he was going to do this? Which I guess in a way is good because that's what all the characters in the movie are doing after he dies. Right. And we get, mm-hmm. I guess, the benefit of knowing that that's going to happen and wondering if we could tell while we were watching it. Yeah, I was not aware of the suicide that was impending in this movie, but uh, oh. uh, yeah, I didn't know. I just, I, you know, I try not to read the back covers of the DVDs I haven't seen and go online until after I watch the movie. But I'll tell you this much, I could see it coming. Uh, I, yeah. I knew this kid was having troubles, but I did not expect it to be 30 minutes into the movie, the end of the first act. I, I definitely thought it was coming at the end of the movie, uh, uh. if at all. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, knowing that it was going to happen, I could see it, but I'm not sure how I would have felt if I hadn't have known. I guess the the one scene where it's really clear, or not clear, but like the thing, like I guess the change in perception or perspective is, I guess we see him write that suicide note, right, at the party? Mm. And if you don't know that he's going to kill himself, that's just like, oh, what's he writing? And then like later you find out. But when he's writing it, you're like, oh, that's probably his suicide note because, you know, five minutes later, he kills himself. So there's like little moments like that where you like, I guess you understand or know why he's doing things. But it's still, I wish I didn't know. But I think like Mike, I think it is sort of the kid's obviously very troubled and something's going to happen because, I mean, something has to happen in the movie. It's just a matter of like how extreme are they going to take it? I didn't know that that's what he was writing at the party. I thought he was writing music just because they like really drilled in how much he like was into music and made music. So I thought he was just like off on his own writing music. 
for me, the first sign of trouble was when he was called into the principal's office and got accepted into college and kind of has a minor freakout. And I was like, oh, okay, this kid doesn't have it all together. Well, I don't know. Atkinson Academy. David, aren't you happy to hear about this? Uh, well, yeah, no, yeah, I am, I am. It's... Oh, when do I have to let him know? I don't know. The next few weeks, there's plenty of time. Why? Oh, no reason. It's, it's just... I can't do this right now. What? Well, maybe, you know, we could postpone it for like a year or something. David, this is the opportunity you've been shooting for for so long. What's the matter with you? Look, Mr. Vidal, what's the big deal? Why can't everybody just get off my back for five minutes? Uh, all I'm saying is I don't want to do this right now. You know, it's just... I need a break. Can't you understand that? I just need some time off. I, I've got so many things to do. The, the, my homework and, and the band. I've got this pinafore thing. And now this, on, on top of it. There's just no way. I, I can't do it. You know, there's just too many things at once. I just... David? I can't do it. I need... David, relax. Atkinson's isn't until next year. Uh, yeah. Right, next year. Duh, so stupid. <laughs> uh... That's great. Oh, sorry about that. You know, I just got a lot on my mind. The next half hour of the movie, they just pretty much mount responsibilities onto him over and over, one on top of the next, until he just kind of crushes under the pressure. Yeah, I feel like that scene and the scene where he's with his little brother and sort of talking to him and saying, kind of, I wish I was you. I wish I was didn't have the worries that I have now or the like responsibilities. I wish I could just like sleep in your little bed and sleep all day. <laughs> that, yeah, those were the, the sort of key moments for me knowing that he was depressed. Like the, there's a real dichotomy between the two characters. Like Keanu, you know, his mom is gone. His dad is basically an absentee father. He's sort of this weirdo outsider, kind of. The only thing he really has in life is his band. And again, we get sort of preview at dog star Keanu mm-hmm. a little yeah. bit. You know, we see him yeah. rocking out in the beginning. He's got his beautiful rock star hair. Yeah, his Bill uh, and Ted look. Totally. <laughs> He's pretty musical throughout the entire film. And he sort of, you know... He doesn't have a lot going for him, but he's making the most of what he has. Meanwhile, this main guy, David, you know, he's got two loving parents. He's got a younger brother who sort of looks up to him and idolizes him. I get the sense that when they show up late to school in the beginning of the movie, after they sneak into that record studio and then leave, I feel like, you know, even like the teacher or the principal or whoever that guy was, he's just like, oh, just get to class. Like, I feel like he's so beloved and respected at school that they can just sort of get away with things. He's popular. He's got a girlfriend. He's also got a side piece, right? Yeah. I didn't make that up, right? Like, he's got, like, a girlfriend, and then he's, like, having sex with that blonde girl, right? Right. Did he have a girlfriend, though, also? Isn't, yeah, isn't the girl who sings the solo at the end his girlfriend? I thought she was just his friend. Because she talks to Keanu at some point about how she dreams of a future where David was famous, and she would go visit him. And I thought she said, and then I'm like married to somebody else but he's okay with me going there because he knows i'm friends with david yeah oh. yeah i wasn't too sure about the girlfriend relationships in this film altogether to be quite honest it yeah. seemed like there's a lot of floating around because even keanu has his steady girlfriend but also is hanging out with the same girl i think it's lauren yeah uh, he hangs out with her a lot also throughout the film so i wasn't sure 
what the dynamics were here necessarily. Well, what makes things even more complicated, at least for me, is that, okay, so there's Keanu plays a guy named Chris, right? His name's Chris? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's David, who's a kid who killed himself. And then there's two other girls, brunettes, Lauren and MG. And they look very similar. And they're just sort yes. of both kind of generic 80s brunettes. I feel like this is not the first time in Keanu Club that this has happened. We're just like people who look alike. And like, you know, at the end, at the very end of the movie, when there's like this play and there's like this big, you know, triumphant musical moment, you know, he goes and talks to his girlfriend, Keanu's girlfriend, MG, which I think is his girlfriend because, I mean, he kisses her or whatever. And then he like walks away and then we have like another little scene and then we have him talking to Lauren. And I'm like, wait, is this the same girl without the hat or is this a different girl? I had to rewind it to make sure, like, okay, no, they are very, they're wearing different things. These are different girls. And even, like, after a whole movie of, like, seeing these two different girls, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe if I knew the actresses better, but I don't. There's the, the one girl that David was having sex with is this blonde girl, and she looks very different. Right. But dressed up in these, like, 1700s clothing <laughs> with, like, powdered faces, like, they're even more similar. Like, it's, it's very difficult to figure out who is who in this movie. Well, as a Cage connection, did you notice that MG was in Valley Girl? No. She was Susie in Valley Girl, the one that her mom is interested in the same guy as she is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Towards the end, I was like, she seems familiar. Like, just her voice or something is triggering Nicolas Cage for me. What is this? <laughs> Valley Girl. Well, I had a Valley Girl flash during the party. I was like, this is sort of like the Valley Girl party, but like the opposite. Like, this is almost yeah. like the kind of party that like Nicolas Cage's friends would throw in that movie. And then, you know, if a couple yuppies showed up, that they would be like sort of, you know, stared at. As opposed to in Valley Girl, where it's like this yuppie party. And then Cage shows up and he's like this punk kid. And, you know, everybody looks at him. And I was like, this is like the other side of things. Right. Like, this is like <laughs> totally. where, like how the other side lives. And that's one thing about the music. So I noticed right in the opening credits that Joe Strummer did the music. And then the song that Keanu and his friends write is so Yacht Rock that I... And, like, (laughs) they don't look... Or at least Keanu looks fully, like, 90s grunge, even though it's 88. Yeah, Yeah, he looks so Nirvana. It just seemed wrong that they made such a Yacht Rock song. Especially with Joe Strummer involved. Like, just get a Joe Strummer song. (laughs) Do they ever establish where this takes place? Is it supposed to be like California? Hmm. My husband watched half of it with me, and he said that it seemed like Pacific Northwest. Because the whole, the only trivia on IMDb is that it was shot entirely in Oregon. So it was filmed mm-hmm. there. I don't know if it's set there or not. Yeah, I don't know. There was that weird moment where I don't even know who he was. He's the guy the principal was talking to. So was he like a school board guy, the oh. one who shut down? down them even being able to have the tribute to david i yeah, couldn't Dr. figure Moss. out who was supposed to, yeah who was he i have no idea <laughs> that know. was so he confusing. controlled the school whoever he was but when he was ta- when the principal was talking to him he said something about oh i went to new york and the brooklyn bridge scared me and i was like okay are they near new york i have no idea where they are yeah the setting was well, kind of interesting though because it it seemed cold, yet there was a beach, so the, the filmmakers <laughs> yeah. kind of, and there was a bridge and a city, so the filmmakers kind of had everything they needed, right? all the uh, scenery that they wanted. I did get the sense, I forgot that when they go for that joyride in the beginning of the movie, that I felt like they were driving basically from New Jersey into Manhattan. That's what I thought, like, that's, too. That's the impression that I got. I guess it's sort of like everywhere yeah. and nowhere. Like, if, if we want to give mm-hmm. the movie the benefit of the doubt, 
teen suicide is a very serious issue that kids across the country and families across the country have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And so I guess, you know, not having it in a specific place makes it more open to your, like, your own interpretation, I guess? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah that makes the, sense. Yeah, the location wasn't important. It was more the subject matter. Okay, so I have one thing that before we really talk about this movie as a movie, and I'm not sure... I don't know. I mean, I think it works well. I think it's more competently made than several other movies that we've seen recently. But one thing that I realized when thinking about Keanu Club is, and I don't mean this sort of like in a negative way, but like I'm getting a little frustrated by how many movies Keanu is doing as a high schooler. Mm. I don't think we're like on the edge of that either. Like I think he's got a few more coming up, but like we're 14 episodes into Keanu Club and he's still in high school. When we did Cage Club, you know, Valley Girl was the third one, and then Rumblefish is the fourth. And so from the fourth one on, he's not in school anymore. I mean, he's an adult, and he is able to do whatever. Here, I mean, I understand that there's a lot of issues that you could tackle in high school. And, I mean, they've done a whole lot. They've done teen suicide. They've done abusive parents. They've done, you know, gang violence. They've done a whole bunch of different stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. to an extent, if you want to simplify it, it's all just sort of like teenage angst. You know what I mean? And I'm just like, oh, another high school Keanu movie that like, that's what I think was so amazing about Cage and about his early choices is that he was able to like break free of this mold and sort of become like an adult actor here. I feel like Keanu, I mean, at this point he's 24, right? 23, 24. And he's still playing a high schooler. It's just like, I want to see something more out of him. And I know we're going to get that, but like, I'm antsy to get there. You know what I mean? I think that's pretty common for actors in their 20s to play teenagers. I mean, looking at 90210, for example, even actors in their 30s end up playing teenagers. And I think the only reason it didn't happen to Nicolas Cage, I mean, aside from maybe his own personal choices, is that even when he did Valley Girl, they thought he looked too old. So they made him shave his chest hair and do different things. And he was only 18 or something then. So... Mm knowing that Nicolas Cage and Keanu Reeves are actually the same age, if you look at them even now, I think Keanu looks way younger. So I think it's just because he looks younger that he could keep getting this type of role for so long. It's kind of interesting, though, that Keanu hasn't really been in that many different genres yet, which is kind of strange. Like, they're all almost high school films, you know? Like, he hasn't really done a horror film. He hasn't done a war movie. Like, he hasn't done these other types of films that he could still play the age of. Like, he could still be a a young teenager at war or something like that, whereas Mm. Cage did kind of do some of that kind of stuff. And, yeah, you're definitely right just about their look. You know, Cage just looks older, I think. I mean, he, you know, and Keanu can just play younger, and he's going to milk that for as long as possible, which, yeah, I don't think that's... I'm not quite as frustrated as you are maybe about this because I just know we'll break out of here soon enough. You know, the uh, high school saga will be over at one, one day, and we'll put that to rest. So, uh, yeah... Like, it's not like I don't want to watch these movies, and I know that we're going to get to a place within the next eight or ten movies, we're going to be at Point Break, you know what I mean? So it's not like the future, like the movies that I know that I'm really looking forward to is really that far off. Mm -hmm. And part of the excitement about Keanu Club is the same as Cage Club. It's like discovering these early movies that I've never heard of before. 
I hear a movie like Permanent Record, and I'm just like, oh, that sounds like another movie where it's like on your school's Permanent Record or whatever. And then it's just like, oh, it is another high school movie. Because I know it's coming. I just sort of want to get there. I mean, if these movies are all like, you know, we were on a little roll back there, Mike, you know, five or ten movies ago, mm-hmm. where it just like everything was sort of great and fun. And just, you know, whether it was a TV movie or like a bigger release, like they were sort of all really enjoyable. I think recently with a couple that I haven't really been fully crazy about, I think that combined with setting that we've already seen is like what's sort of dragging me down just a little bit. I definitely hear that because even the ones that we liked and enjoyed and had good times watching, like they weren't necessarily comedies or anything. You know, we sort of found value in other things about those movies and we've only really had one comedy. And even that didn't really play very comedic. It has been tough because a lot of this has just been serious drama, you know, and it gets heavy. And we've been to high school with Keanu a lot before. And as good as he is in this, I don't really feel he's doing much we haven't seen before. You know, I'm ready to see him stretch it. Yeah, I feel like this movie, while I think the subject matter was important, I don't think that it was a particularly good movie about teen suicide. It's tough. I mean, maybe because we just saw River's Edge. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't know what, I don't know what it could have done better. I don't know what it could have done differently. It just feels like, like something's not clicking, and I can't put my finger on. It. I yeah. feel like until he kills himself, I think it's working really well, and then like when it actually happens, it sort of falls apart a little bit. Yeah, it feels somehow generic. The movie. It's strange. I, you know, you're right. The movie does sort of just like lose something when. David commits suicide. I just I feel like he does it too soon. I feel like there might not be enough build up there. And what's mm-hmm. strange to me is that it almost felt like the focus of the movie shifted entirely after he died to Keanu's character, which felt a little jarring to me because we were following this one kid very closely for thirty minutes and now the rest of the movie we're gonna see how it affected Keanu, who was his best friend. But it just seemed a little weird that the focus shifted. The movie starts off and we're following this guy, we're following David, the kid who kills himself, and he kind of, in like a, a very generic sense, looks like Keanu. I mean, he's like, you know, a young, dark-haired, handsome high school-age kid, right? And I'm just like, why are we following him instead of Keanu, considering I know that Keanu is the star of this movie, Keanu's face is gigantic on the DVD cover, and then, you're right, like, it is sort of like a sudden shift, but, like, I, I don't know, like, because until we switch to Keanu... Keanu's not really a well-fleshed-out character, I don't think, right? He's just sort of like, he's like a bandmate who is disappointed and thinks that David is letting him down. Like, that's sort of all we really know about Keanu, right? Yeah, and I kind of wonder if the Keanu prominent on the DVD cover is like a later thing. Like, who knows what the cover was in the 80s, but... Once Keanu's the famous person in the movie, I wonder if you know how that happens. Mm-hmm. They just like yeah. toss the only famous person in the movie on there to try and sell it, which is a mistake because it isn't that much about him until the end. Yeah, we've seen a couple times already in Keanu Club that there's been after the fact DVD covers where it's sort of misleading where he's gigantic on the cover mm-hmm. just because he's a movie star and nobody else in this movie really went on to do anything else in terms of acting. I mean, like we have. Who is it we have? Oh, well, Barry oh. Corbin's in here. He's like a big-time character actor I recognized right away. He plays David's dad. He doesn't really come in until the last half hour or so, but he helps Keanu get back in school and everything. Yeah, I recognized a few people from Gilmore Girls. <laughs> <laughs> 
this is another movie that I was looking up, and there's nobody in this movie that's ever going to really return to another Keanu movie. One thing I thought was kind of cool was that the, the director is a woman, and I mean, it's always, I mean, as mm-hmm. sort of terrible as it is to point out, it is important to sort of point those out because that doesn't happen too often, and I mean, it's it's worth noting. She hasn't really done much. I think she directed seven things, and this is one of her bigger things that she's known for. So it's not like she's this well-known director, but it's it's cool to see that there was a woman director on this. So I like that. I guess the one of the most famous people in this was Lou Reed, and that was weird. I felt like it should have come back around to something about Lou Reed later. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess it was just establishing that they loved music, but it just seemed so random. And I didn't understand yeah. why Lou Reed was in the movie. <laughs> Yeah, that's a crazy scene, too, because on their way to school, they sneak into a recording studio. Lou Reed is having a session in there, and they kind of get to hang out, and he says hi to them and before the security guards shuffle them off and everything. And I definitely thought at the end of the movie, when Keanu and Not Dogstar go in to record their song, Lou Reed was going to, I don't know if he would join them, but definitely <laughs> be behind the glass nodding, going like, these guys got something. But no. No, it's just, just one and done. Yeah. A lot of the movie, I don't want to say the whole movie, but a lot of the movie revolves around music, and I feel like there's never really a reason for that. Like, there's not really a thematic, I mean, like, David's in a band with Keanu, he's working on this music for the school play, he plays the piano, but I feel like that's never really sold, and, like, it's this thread, it's this through line throughout the entire movie, mm-hmm. but it just sort of, like, it builds to this moment at the end. I, I, maybe it's just because we have this powerful moment where David's maybe ex-girlfriend has this solo at the end where she sings a song. But it's still, it's, it's strange, I feel, how much focus is paid to music when that time could be devoted to sort of anything else, right? Or am I off base here? No, I actually was wondering for a moment if this was a special school for gifted musical kids or something like that. They also have this play going on, the HMF Pinafore they're performing. Yeah. And is there any parallel relevance to this and the story that we're watching? I don't think so. It's very confusing to me, the layer upon layer of music in this. I liked the stuff with Keanu and his group and his band, but they don't even explore that because his band basically disappears for the entire movie, right? Like, it's strange how they focus on music in this movie. Well, because Keanu writes this song, right, that, like, he sort of has, I don't want to call it, like, writer's block, but, like, after David dies, he sort of doesn't want to work on anything. He sort of loses interest in a lot of stuff. And then he finally decides, like, okay, I'm going to write this music. And then he writes this song. And I'm like, hey, man, you have to perform it. But, like, he never performs it. Right. Well, so it was kind of like it was a collaboration between him and David posthumously because David had written the music and he wrote the lyrics. So I guess that was the importance of it in that sense as, I don't know, closure or some aspect of their friendship. And that really freaks out Keanu at one point is he gets a letter in the mail and it's David's suicide note with the unfinished music. Right. And yeah. that throws him for a few days. Yeah. It makes him go run to the bathroom and vomit. Oh, yeah, that's right. I do like, I mean, this is sort of like a stupid little tangent, but I do like whenever somebody throws up in a movie and it's not someone showing that they're pregnant. Because I feel like every time you see somebody throw up in a movie, it's either for comedic effect or to show that a woman's pregnant. So, like, whenever there's, like, a third reason, I think it's uh, it's pretty good stuff. So I'm on board with him throwing up, even though, you know, it's, it's sort of cliche or whatever. But I like it because we don't see it enough in movies. That's grief vomit is what that is. <laughs> we'll have to track that, see if he... I know he vomits in The Matrix at some point, but 
He yeah. sure does. Between that's that's freakout vomit. I guess we should probably talk about the actual scene where he kills himself, or is there anything worth mentioning before we get there? I like the reveal that they practice in a condemned foundry, it appears. If you just follow the two girls walking into this abandoned building, and it turns out that Keanu and their band, like, they have just claimed it for their own rehearsal space. I just thought that was pretty interesting. I don't know where that idea came from, but all that. I thought that worked. Do you think it's the same place that Olivia Diabo practices her gymnastics? Oh, it came... <laughs> I'll tell you, like visions of her flipping through the hallways <laughs> did appear in my head while watching this. So we get to this party scene. Keanu's sort of like this goofy kid that, you know, is musical and sort of, he seems well-liked enough. He's just like, I don't know how to act at this party. And David's just like, oh, just be wild. He's like, oh, I can do that. Like, I can be wild. But he's not really wild at this party. And, you know, this is the the reverse Valley Girl party that we were talking about. And we see David sort of being a little bit emo, but like not super out of the ordinary. Yeah. And Keanu's like way overdressed in like a white tuxedo top, but also wearing shorts. Like it's all sort of strange and kind of fun. And this, I feel like this party is a good example of how this movie, I don't know how exactly how to say this, but like I feel like a lot of high school movies sort of portray this like idealistic version of high school right like i think we've talked about a couple times on cage club and maybe even here where it feels like the writer has never gone to high school like they just don't know how high schoolers talk or act or whatever and here this whole movie and especially this party it seems sort of more real it's more bleak and depressing which sort of seems more because everybody just seems worried about everything because they're all seniors they're all lives are all about to change forever and I think there is like a sense of worry that we don't really get in a lot of movies. And I think that this party is a good example of how this movie does that well. Actually, I agree with you. Uh, this party is sort of here to blow off steam before graduation, but no one seems to be able to. They're all worried about the looming graduation. And there's the part where David walks up to Kim, the girl he's just having casual sex with, and they have like the agreement where they just don't talk about anything else. And she finally just admits that she doesn't have the grade. She might not graduate. And David just ignores her and walks away. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of at that point where I was like, wow, like everybody's got their own hang up that they really that's blocking them. They can't deal with. And David can't deal with her thing because he can't even deal with his own thing. See, I'm having this problem. I might not graduate. How'd that be for humiliation, huh? And this fool just asked me to marry him. Not too bright, huh? Wants to marry a girl who can't even graduate high school. I'll catch you later. David! When will I see you? I don't know. It was around that time that I was like, okay, yeah, people are trying to have fun, but it's not... It's not working. Like, the party isn't working on these people. For a thing that should be this place to go wild and, like, let loose and just sort of forget your worries, it seems almost, like, more depressing. Like, that girl just bringing up the fact that she's worried about graduating, it's like, why are you even talking about that at the party? Like, why are you, A, burdening David with this? Although I understand that her hang-up is that, like, they don't talk enough, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, they only have sex and... That seems like it's enough for him because he just sort of needs to, I guess, let off some steam, like literally. So she wants to open up to him. But I also don't understand, like, why is this happening at the party other than this is just the last time that he's ever going to talk to someone and hear and like 
add to his reason for killing himself. I mean, I think it's also showing part of his relationship between him and Kim that we've just previously seen the scene where she says, oh, we never ask any questions and we just have sex and that's the way our relationship is. And it's pretty obvious that she's like, should it be like that? And he's like, yeah, that's what's great about it. So when they're at the party, it seems to me anyways that it was more like her saying, okay, I actually want to tell you things. I actually want to have a conversation with you. And he's like, no. And I know now that this is after he's written his suicide note that he Mm -hmm. goes to this party. So it makes it even eerier that I think he's gone to this party. I don't know if he's gone to say goodbye or if it's he's gone to see if there's a reason not to kill himself. Like, are are these people that he surrounded himself with, you know, enough to keep him around? Well, I think because everybody asks themselves later, is there anything they could have done? And I think everybody kind of does their thing a bit. Like, she tries to reach out to him, and he's like, I can't. And then Lauren says, oh, can I go for a walk with you? Because he's leaving, like, walking away from the party, and he's like, no. Or he just walks away, and she's like, okay, sorry to interrupt you walking or whatever. And even in his own way, Keanu tries to sort of cheer him up a little bit, Mm -hmm. too. I mean, it's it's really at at the worst possible time. But, you know, he sees David, you know, lost in thought or whatever, wants to cheer him up, wants to goof around with his friend. And so he's just doing stupid stuff. And I mean, it's it's the people around him do care about him, want to want to be involved with him. And he just I don't know if he's decided this isn't enough or he's just blind to like what the world is offering him. But it's too little too late and for one reason or another. Yeah, I think it's also saying like there probably was nothing anybody could have done at that point he had made up his mind he maybe was depressed I mean, we don't know enough about him to really know why he killed himself but you know we could say he was depressed and if so there's nothing that an external person could have reached out and said like i care about you and like really changed his <laughs> mind at that moment he was in his own zone he was ready to do what he wanted to do you know like i feel like even if keanu was successful in getting his attention and sort of literally talking him off the edge he does seem committed at that point to going through with it. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, the whole thing later in the movie is that when Keanu breaks down in front of David's parents, he's like, he didn't scream. When he says, like, it wasn't an accident, like, he killed himself, he didn't scream. And the dad's like, I, I still would have screamed. This doesn't really prove that there was no sound. What? He didn't scream. I don't know if I should tell you or anybody, um... I don't know if I did the right thing. He should have screamed. I would have screamed. Wouldn't you? It's like he is so committed to what he's about to do, it doesn't matter what anybody tried to do. Like, he was, at one point or another, ready to die. Yeah. And Keanu says that, I think it's Lauren who's saying... You know, she's getting drunk one night right where he jumped off the cliff. And Keanu sees her there and she says, is there anything I could have done? And Keanu says, if you want my advice, don't ask yourself that. Because I think because he's been asking himself that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and like it's not getting him anywhere. All, all it's getting him is thrashing around bedrooms and, you know, freaking out at school and nothing productive coming from right. it. So right. it's never it's never a good question to ask yourself. Right. I think until they decide to somehow put on a tribute, 
he's trying to find a meaning in the death and then ultimately I, it seems like he lands on we're never going to know so we may as well sort of just move on right it's not really it doesn't matter anymore for him you know the reasons behind it is just that he's dead and we you know we should remember him let's perform his music and like pay tribute yeah but it, it takes a little while to sort of get there and he has this sort of powerful freak out moment right where like mg is talking about how he she wants to write an article about David for the newspaper. And he's like, why? So you can tell all sorts of lies about like what actually happened or whatever. And like, he freaks out on her and like gets real mad and throws her papers away. And then realizes, I think that might be when he realizes that like, you know, he's got to do something productive. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, like he can't just like, you know, you want, you want to act out, but like he, I think that's the moment where he's like, I can't hurt the people I love because they're also trying to cope with their grief. Exactly. I'm writing about it. About what? David's death. What the hell do you mean you're writing about it? What do you even know about it? Like, the last couple of days of his life. Oh, makes sense, will you? I'm, I'm putting myself in his place the last couple of days of his life. What he was thinking about or planning. To make me laugh. I'm not trying to make you laugh. I'm just telling you. And I'm going to get it published in the paper. What, they want to print a bunch of lies? Not lies. Thoughts. These are true thoughts. What truth? Mine. The way I honestly feel about it. Other people will have people that died too, you know, and maybe something I write will help them. It might. Why do you always want to stifle me? You always do this. Put on the brakes, coast. Well, I can't coast, see? You said full of shit, okay? It is not. It's crap because you don't know a rat's ass about what he was thinking. And that makes this a bunch of scribbled fucking lies, okay? Shit. I'm sorry. Get away from me. Yeah, and he's in mourning too, and he's a teenager, and it's confusing. It must be hard to control his emotions and his anger and he doesn't really have a lot of guidance either. You know, his his parents just are pretty much non-existent in this entire movie. So I could only imagine, you know, the struggle that his character is going through, you know, trying to understand what, what's why this happened and what's going on and, and how to move on. He had a pretty good principal at school. I feel mm -hmm. like the principal was pretty supportive, except that his bosses felt that yeah. by having a celebration of david's life that that was like condoning the fact that he or celebrating that he committed suicide which of course is ridiculous yeah the principal was only sort of bound by like his bosses yeah. you know as a person he was a great guy and he really wanted to do the right thing and, and ultimately in the end he allows the right thing to happen right he never mm -hmm. he doesn't stop the tribute or and even in, in another one of keanu's Good. He has a couple freakouts in this movie, and, and one yeah. of my favorite is when the principal has to announce the cancellation of the tribute and calls Keanu into his office, and Keanu throws a book through his window to yeah. get him expelled. Excuse me? Chris, everyone, we are going to be able to hold this memorial service for David Sinclair after all. No. No, you promised. Well, it can't happen, so you're going to have to forget about it. Well, what is this, man? You said you'd set it up. I know what I said, Chris. Now I'm saying we can't do it. Well, why not, Mr. Verdell? Look, everyone, this comes from the top. That's it. 
This gives us real respect for authority. It's about enough, Chris. No, it's not enough. We want to do this thing. I'm telling you, we can't. Bullshit, man. This is bullshit. Hey! Get in my office. I don't appreciate you talking back to me in front of Dr. Moss and half a damn senior class. Yeah, and I don't appreciate you going back on your word. This is how the world is. Things change. Yeah, yeah, okay, sure. Hey, you want to pick that up? Yeah, I want to pick it up. Like, that was intense, and even after that happens, a couple scenes later, uh, he, he lets Keanu come back to school, you know, he, he ends up finding a way to, uh, to do the right thing. I feel like there's a lot of complicated power struggles behind the scenes. Like, this principal character, he's either in this movie, like, too much or not enough, you know what I mean? Like, we get, like, good interactions, especially, like, that freak-out Mike that you just mentioned where he throws the book through the thing. Like, that's, like, a great scene. But then, like, him with the board member, whoever that is, talking about, you know, not having a memorial service. It's just like, why is this? Like, I don't understand. Like, how did, how did they know it was a suicide? Did word just get around? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a it good could... question. I think by that point, Keanu had gone to David's parents and said, you know, I saw him. He didn't fall. He jumped. And, and then he tells... A couple of the other kids so at that point it's common knowledge i believe there's an accident it happened but now we've got to go on look we get up on the stage we say some words we play his music bang it's over good it's very thoughtful of you your best friend in the world you'd understand it wasn't very thoughtful either. how can you say that because my best friend in the world killed himself, MG. He jumped. What? He jumped. No accident. And I don't understand why Dr. Moss is even in this movie in the first place and <laughs> how he has so much power, but he's like Captain Tenure or something. I mean, he's just in control of the school system and whatever he says goes. And I don't understand what his hang-up is. It seemed unnecessarily dark and weird and, like, not to fit the movie that they were making. And then after they, like, say, you know, we can't memorialize, like, or you guys can't memorialize David, I was like, well, why can't they just go out to, like, the cliff where he died and have their own ceremony? You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand. Well, like, I, they were so... I think that it was symbolic because he had done so much for the school and... It seemed like that's how it seemed to me is that this he was sort of stretching himself thin to help his fellow classmates, you know, write the music for the play and, you know, help give Keanu guitar lessons, be in his band. It just seemed like he was Mr. Popular in a way. And like, yeah, it just seemed like he was a regular fixture at the school. They wanted to honor him that way. They wanted to say this was a fellow student because they do sort of hang out on the point a couple of times throughout the movie and do give little tributes in their own way. I guess the point was to memorialize him during that play at the end. Was that, I guess that was, I don't know if that was never as ever like really explicitly made clear, but I guess that sort of makes sense, right? Cause that's where they have their little act of rebellion that even the school says you can't do it. They still do it anyway. So I guess maybe because David was writing the music for that, they don't ever explicitly say like, that's what they're going to do. Right? No. No. Which seems weird. <laughs> yeah, it does seem weird. That that thing at the end, it felt impromptu to me. I still was wondering why they were performing this play in the first place. I was just 
struggling to find parallels yeah. in some way. Uh, but I do have to say they killed it. They really, like, I thought that the guy playing the captain of the Pinafore really rocked it, you know. <laughs> he was doing a great job. I was enjoying that performance. I am the captain of the Pinafore. And captain too. You're very, very good and be it understood. I command the right good crew. We're very, very good and be it understood. We command the right good crew. Though related to a peer, I can hand Remus Deer or ship a salvage. I'm never known to quail at the fury of a gale, and I'm never, never sick at sea. But never! Now never! But never! Hardly ever! He's hardly ever sick at sea! Then give three cheers and one cheer more for the hardy captain of the pinnacle! Then give three cheers and one cheer more for the captain of the pinnacle! It felt like when the girl came out to do her solo at the very end, it was like, oh, now is a good chance to, yeah, stand up and rebel and, you know, let's do this for David. But, like, what's weird about the way that they set up the play is that either I missed something or, you know, judging by what you guys are saying, I don't think I missed something. I think the movie just didn't set it up right, is that there's so much attention paid to this production at the end. We don't really know why. And then before the girl goes on stage to sing the solo, they're showing, you know, it's, it's only for like a minute or two maybe, but they're just showing them like performing the play. And it's like, why are we spending so much time? Like, I was confused. And like, they're doing a great job, but I was also like, why is this in the movie? I don't know. I felt like they were because they were flashing back and forth between the production and then Keanu's band. So I thought that it was just sort of playing up the whole music theme of the movie a bit more and going back and forth between the two things. And then at the end, they sort of come together, right? Because Keanu's song that he was recording ends up being sung by Lauren at the end of the play. But I almost thought that there was some kind of time crunch, and that that's why there was the cross-cutting. Like, Keanu needed to record this song in time to get to the play for some reason, but right. he didn't. You know, he no. didn't. I mean, him kind of showing up, I think it inspired the girl to do what she did a bit. Uh, who's to say if she would have sang the song if Keanu didn't visit her backstage? But it was very just awkward cross-cutting back and forth between the recording studio and and the music from the play and the music the juxtaposition of the music was just crazy because there's such drastically different genres of music my question and maybe this might be a really stupid question but is she singing his song yeah or is she singing a different song no she's singing we his know, song do we know that definitively yeah because I, they both had the oh i can't remember the lyrics now it's wishing on another lucky star. Yeah, and so yeah. when when Keanu practices it with the group, you pretty much only hear them sing that lucky star part. Okay. And then you don't hear it at all when they're recording because they never record Keanu's voice or they just don't show that part. But then she sings it and then it's the song in the credits too. So you get a lot of that song. Okay. <laughs> By the end of the movie, you've heard By the, the end, you've heard it a lot, yeah. yeah. This is for us. Your friends may lie, 
truth can come from strangers we find new we wouldn't be in this danger leaning out the window of my car and wishing on another lucky star was that a song that was written for this movie? Because I, I Googled it trying to find the lyrics yeah. to sort of, you know, follow along. And it seems like it's, you know, a song that's been, you know, that's been recorded by somebody. And I think the like, yeah. permanent, like the, the clip of her singing is like the second hit on Google. So I think it's affiliate of this movie. But like, I don't know if that's, I wasn't sure if that was like the song that he wrote or that, you know, they so. like sort of co-opted reality. Like, I don't know. I was sort of confused by like uh, the whole last 10 minutes of the movie. I know the story behind this song. So J.D. Souther wrote the song. I looked at the right. credits because I wanted to know who sang it because it sounded like a John Waite song, that song Missing You. Like when they started writing the or playing the music as a group, I was like, wow, this sounds like, you know, that song. And so I, I wanted to see if he had anything to do with it. But And J.D. Souther doesn't seem to have anything to do with John Waite anyways. But he wrote the song Wishing on Another Lucky Star featured on the soundtrack of the movie Permanent Records. So, yeah, I guess it just says it's featured on the soundtrack. It doesn't really say he wrote it for it. But it doesn't re- – also it doesn't say that he wrote it for, for anybody else. So mm. seems like he wrote the song and it ended up on this and maybe nothing else happened. With that. Well, I like that. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> At least Joe Strummer avoided that bullet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we had a couple of movies in Cage Club where we had songs featured. Like, I think mm-hmm. City of Angels is a big one where, like, songs were, were, like, were written for that movie. Yeah. I feel like here we're getting to it. Like, Keanu's tackling that, uh, that task really early in his career, just having, you know, even, like, whatever sappy, heartbreaking songs. But, I mean, he's, he's doing it early. I, I feel like the cross-cutting between the band and the play too is showing David's work like his diversity of music work because he wrote he like arranged the music for the play and he wrote the music that the band's playing so yeah yeah. that's a good call it highlights his diversity I also love the guy conducting that was just thrust into conducting too had no say whatsoever and turns out he's great at it and what I also like about that character is that he's also hitting on the blonde girl backstage. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm wondering if, like, you know, while he's doing that, like, I wonder if David said to him, and I don't think he would have, but, like, oh, yeah, like, me and this girl, like, we just have casual sex and, like, you know, we don't even have to talk. Like, it's just, like, that's just what we do. <laughs> I can see this kid being like, oh, I can just, like, I can just, oh, that's, like, that's what I'm going to do. Like, now that David's out of the picture, like, she needs something. So, like, I'm just sort of making him, like, really pervy and weird <laughs> in my mind for no reason. Yeah, Sorry, kid. <laughs> I almost he had... seemed like such a goody two-shoes. That seems odd for him, but yeah, who knows? <laughs> I almost got the sense that David was kind of grooming that kid a little bit before he yeah. died. Like He was sort of giving him hair gel, telling him how to act, and you know, saw him at the party. I think was like the only guy he really kind of smiled at and gave him like a, hey, you're doing it. You're out in public. Like <laughs> one of those things. So by the end right. of this film... He's transformed at least this one kid to be really confident. And we actually do see him with the blonde girl really quickly at the very end when everyone's kind of hanging out back at the point. Oh, so it did work. Oh, look at that. But, you know, before we stray from the end of this movie, when she goes out on stage and, like, rebels against, like, what the, the song is supposed to be, of course the board member, like, storms out, but, like, everybody else in the audience just, like, 
openly bawling, like the principal is crying and just everybody loves it. And they're like, it's just like a rousing ovation at the end. And like, she nailed it. She really did it. And where she did it and Keanu did it. So David will be memorialized forever, mm-hmm. even though the school board. So I like, guess the real moral of the story is just like stick it to the school board if you can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was great how the principal got like out of his seat just to tell off the school board guy. He was like, you know what? I won't stop this. You can leave. I'm going back to my seat. <laughs> that, was, that was a nice touch. Mm-hmm. Earlier in the movie, there was one part that we, we sort of skipped that I really, really liked. And I think it's one of my favorite Keanu Club moments so far and just I think it's so emblematic of who Keanu is like who we think Keanu is and it's when that girl I don't remember if it's MG or Lauren I think it's MG and she says like answer me honestly answer me quickly like do you ever think about suicide and he just like you know goes on this thing about how like he's having too much fun he wants to like leave this world kicking and screaming the way he came in like he's not gonna he's not gonna kill himself like that's sort of like a cop-out and I think that's showing that he's moved on from David's death and, you know, sort of process what he did. And while he might understand it, you know, that's not how he wants to live his life. And I think that in a worse movie, like, I don't think it's necessarily a great movie, but I think it's good enough. Mm. And in a worse movie, that would have been, like, overly hacky and hokey and sentimental and, like, oh, like, you know, you should never kill yourself because you just think about all the, all the fun you're having. But, like, the way that he delivers it, like, mm. because he is, like, living his life and just, you know, having a lot of fun and, like, playing the band and, you know, has a girlfriend, like, it works. I think, and I, th- I thought it was just, like, a really cool, genuine moment. Honest answer. You ever think about suicide? Honest? Hell no. I'm having too much fun, Lauren. I mean, uh... This trip through space and time is... gonna be over on its own soon enough, isn't it? Doesn't mean any help for me. I came into this thing screaming and kicking out the same way. I thought we all thought about, you know. Screw it. Now why David didn't. Thought about that. And like you said, never know. You said that. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like they have complex thoughts about suicide, but they're not so complex that they seem like ill written for teenagers, you know, or like people who are just experiencing the idea of someone committing suicide. So, but I don't like the movie overall. (laughs) And I think, you know, we've seen a lot of these after school specials in early Keanu Club and as serious as these themes are, they never really hit you over the head super heavy like a lot of those other things did which are right you know more to the point like they're supposed to and this just didn't ever cross into that schlocky sort of territory of like super feel good at the end you know it's a movie that understands what it's talking about at least it's not the best movie but it was worth a watch i thought i enjoyed keanu's performance and i appreciated just the tone and how kind of consistent that it was able to maintain I would agree with that. I'm not going to watch this movie again. Like, it's, it's another one where I think we were talking about it recently. I don't remember what the other movie was. Maybe it was the night before, the last one we did, where it's not a movie that I'm ever going to, like, seek out to watch again. But if it's on, I'll be like, oh, yeah, it's that Keanu movie. Because there is stuff, like, when Keanu's, like, early in the movie, like I, like I said before, I think, you know, the first half hour of this movie, I think, works pretty well. 
And then when it sort of needs to get heavy and serious, it sort of stumbles a little bit. But I think for the beginning part of the movie and like some parts throughout, I think it works well and it's sort of enjoyable. And, you know, especially I think a lot of that, once again, as we've said in a couple of movies lately, a lot of that just comes down to Keanu and the performance that he's giving. I think that's mm. like carrying the movie when it's a little bit lagging or sluggish. Yeah, and films about suicide are just tough watches in general, you know? Like, I never really want to just sit down and watch a movie like that unless it's, like, Heathers, right? Like, something that is, like, a dark comedy. But, I mean, yeah. So it doesn't really have that going for it either. That's all I have to say about this movie, I think. Oh, actually, one thing I wanted to ask. Okay. Maybe you guys know. I, didn't, I wasn't able to find it. Because we see Keanu playing guitar. We know he plays guitar. But they also show him playing piano in this movie. Mm-hmm. But they don't actually show him playing the piano. Like They have it from the back where we can't see his hands. Are, are we as... like? Do we think... Was that actually Keanu playing? Like I know in the, in the movie it's supposed to be him. But does he know how to play piano? I have no idea. I don't know. But I'll tell you this, Joey, that scene starts with a far shot from across the auditorium. And as the character walked into that room, I could tell from the walk that it was Keanu. Um, I mean, I know I brought that up to you before. I still haven't noticed And it. I God. know you can't see it, but I was like, oh, he just lumbers into the room, sort of like a kid that has like grown a couple inches over the summer that isn't used to his body or something. I don't know if he's just doing it if it's his high school character. But I was like, oh, that's Keanu. And then he sat down at the piano and was pretty good at it. Um, I'm not sure if it was him playing. The thing I got out of that scene is we're going to see stuff about these characters that we might not expect, maybe. Like, oh, I didn't know he was really great at piano. It doesn't seem like that's something he told a lot of people. Characters in this movie are kind of keeping secrets. I didn't get the walk in that scene, but I definitely noticed that walk in the movie in other parts of the movie. And the thing that got me in that scene is I still couldn't tell you what girl came in the room. It is one of the brown haired girls, but I don't know which one it was. Yeah. And she comes in and she's trying to have a serious talk about the future. And he just says, you exude sex. But then maybe oh, it was his girlfriend. <laughs> Lindsay, did you have any other things about this movie that you wanted to talk about? No, I think we covered it. Well, thank you very much for joining us once again. You'll be back in a couple episodes for... Actually, you'll be back twice soon. You'll be back for another movie, I Love You to Death, but then you're also coming back for Paula Abdul, Rush Rush. So those are both in the next (laughs) 10 or so episodes we're doing. So you'll be back a couple more times soon. So look forward to having you back. Yeah. So for all things Keanu Club, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub. You can find information about the podcasts that we've done, the ones that are coming up, you know, all things Keanu and Nick Cage and Zac Efron and Monkeys and all sorts of fun stuff. So go to those places and learn a little bit more. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Lindsay Gibb, and we'll see you next time on Keanu Club. Bye.